good afternoon or good morning or good evening, depending on where you are tuning in from. This is Navigating the Work Compass here on LinkedIn Live. I'm Kate Lucio, and I'm here with my co-host, Susan Chapman-Hughes. Hey, 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 we're here. We took a week off last week. It was 4th of July. And to be honest, we know everyone's a little zoomed out. But these are important conversations we're having. And as we start to really hear about return to the office, the biggest thing, and I call it king or queen, if you're talking about women, uh, is that flexibility. Um, so before we start talking about the questions at hand, I want to just give you everyone a little bit of an overview of the landscape, particularly over the last couple of weeks, but even today. You've got companies like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Google, really calling their employees back to the office. Goldman and JP Morgan were two of the first on the bank side. Morgan Stanley announced come back to work, but also the salaries might be changed if you stay remote or have moved from your primary location. On the other hand, UBS is saying two thirds of their workforce will likely adopt hybrid work. Amazon says two days a week from home is doable. Microsoft offered 50% work from home with a manager discretion for approval of 100% work remote. Shopify, all workers will be remote indefinitely. Uber, three days a week in the office. And as a country, Iceland has said, we're going four day work weeks. So we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other companies and what they've said, Apple, KPMG, Facebook, and others. But what is critical that's coming out, and we've talked about this, Susan, in the last couple of weeks, amongst everything else, is that no matter what, people, employees, small, medium, and large, want flexibility. Yes, they do. So how do we handle across the board, across industries, looking at flexibility and making sure that we don't have what the media is saying in the fall as the great resignation. Yeah, so it's very interesting, Kate. So first of all, hey, everybody, sorry for the technical difficulties, but you know, hey, we're a little slow. We were off last week, so it is what it is. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, I used to run Workplace for American Express. I also was um, leading the, the Workplace Revolution for City. This was all 15 and 10 years ago. What's really fascinating to me is to see um, all of these companies being pushed into contemplating what has been around for quite a long time, because yes. this is not a new thing, right? Where companies are contemplating flexibility. It's just new because now they're being pushed by their employees as a retention tool to actually hold on to their people. So I think there's a few um, things that we should just, or baselines that I think I should share based on things that I learned when I was running workplace for those companies, the first thing is that this is a really big experiment in change management. Yes. And any company that does not recognize that and goes for a one size fits all and a cookie cutter approach is gonna fail. And why are they gonna fail? Number one, because working from home and having flexibility to come back into the office requires tools and it requires preparation. It requires infrastructure. And so a lot of the companies are saying, hey, yes, we can do this, but it actually tracks to all kinds of systems. It tracks to your HR system. Yeah. It tracks to whether or not you can reserve a conference room. 
It tracks the, the kind of food that you want to eat when you come to the office. It literally tracks to all of those things. And so smart companies that are thinking about this are not just saying, okay, well, we want to give people flexibility to work in the office a couple of days a week, but they're really thinking about the end-to-end -end experience of the employee. And I, let me say that again, the end-to-end -end experience of the employee. And by the way, it is a connected experience now that goes not just when you're in the office, but when you're at home. And so if you think about um, you know, all the things that you like in terms of mobility and flexibility, right? You got these little fun phones and things that you can do. Being able to have service, right? So being able to um, get into the office, um, find the things that you need to be able to do your work every day, find the people that you need to be able to do your work every day, have an adequate space for you to be able to do that in a way now that has another layer on it because of COVID, yeah. which means you want safety, right? You don't want to be up in the room with somebody who's hacking or who's sick or who flew in from India yesterday and is like, no, 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 I tested negative. And then like two weeks later, like it's like spreading COVID. You don't want that. So companies really need to be thinking very critically about, well, what is the experience that my employees have every day? If you're in a suburban location, it's going to be very different than you are in a downtown New York, Manhattan location in a high rise building. Because now you still have companies that are saying, well, look, we can only have four people in the elevator at a time. I don't know about you, but every high rise building I've been in for a long time, the elevators have been programmed for 17 people. Yeah. Which means it's going to take time for you to get up to the floor that you need to go to. So you have to think about all of these things as you're like planning for like even your own, like going back to the office. It's like, okay, well, you should be very thoughtful. Should you pack your lunch? Or can you buy your lunch? Well, exactly. And I think, you know, there's kind of two ways to think about this. One is a lot of these companies, I mean, KPG, KPMG is a great example. They put in place a number of pandemic practices, right? Heads down on Fridays, right? So like no Zoom. Um, they, get, they actually said meetings can't start earlier than a certain time during the week to give people time to figure out their time. Meetings are stopping at, at, at 25 past the hour and 50 past the hour versus the full half hour and, and full 60 minutes. And they're saying, we're going to keep those going, right? So those are our new policies. So that's great, right? But the other thing is, I remember, and I know this from working at companies like JP Morgan and HSBC, where real estate came at a price, right? It was like, I don't want a hot desk. I want to be in the office. I want to work there. When I remember when they said in New York at HSBC, we're going to go to hot desking, it was like, a, yeah. I mean, a huge, like, no, I have to come. I have to have a desk. So companies back then were saying, well, we don't have enough real estate, so we're going to go to this kind of hot desking or hoteling. What? That worked, right? And there yep. was a little bit of like mutiny, like, no, we don't want to do that. Okay, now we've all done it. So we know it works. Why do we have to go back to what was working the pre-pandemic or actually what wasn't working? Right. And or we've got to take the time to really ask the employees, right? Absolutely. Now the employees finally have a voice. Absolutely. And what's interesting is, again, going back to what I said, you know, I always thought about it in terms of the end-to-end -end experience of the employee, no matter who touched it. The problem is a lot of companies are actually not organized that way. Right. right? So the real estate team has their own thing. 
the procurement team has their own thing. The technology team has their own thing. The HR organization has their own thing. And then each business unit has their own thing too. So now you have all of these like competing interests and competing challenges because every company has its culture, but right. with each company, their subcultures. And so some people actually really need to sit together to do their jobs on a regular basis. So if you are talking about having people come in two to, two to three days a week and you're a product team that's working with a tech team, that's really hard when like half the people are sitting in one place and the other people are sitting in the other place. It's not impossible, but it is hard. And it does actually, um, there's this like water cooler um, thing that happens that is organic around innovation and creativity when people are together yeah. that you actually do lose when you don't have folks together. So if you're a company and you're thinking about having these schedules that says, look, we're going to go three to two, that means that you need to be programming which three to two each person actually has. Yeah. And that's based on their job. So, you know, we, when I used to run this, um, we had these um, designations of the types of work that people did. It was like home, roam. Um, I can't remember the other two, but basically you had to fill out a survey about how you worked and who you worked with. Right. And that helped us think about, well, okay, so where, where should you be sitting? And when you come into the office, what should you be doing? And what I'm concerned about for so many of these companies that are making these edicts is that they're not thinking at that level. You know, when Kim was on, um, Kim Seymour a couple of weeks ago, the chief people officer of WW, she really talked about how you're having to retrain leaders to actually be able to lead in this different time. And that's a really big deal because it isn't just about, hey, flexibility. It's all also about, well, now that I don't see you, how am I going to rate you at the end of the year? Well, and that's why I think, you know, when you look at this idea of, man, you know, investing in manager training, allowing managers to actually invest in their own development and training versus just throwing something at them. Kim made a great example in that conversation of that's great. We can give them all the tools that they want, but that they have no time to actually utilize for development. Then we're, we're kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall. You know, one of the things that keeps coming up is this idea of role review. And we, Luminary, we work with a number of companies and they're saying, we, we've got to just understand what does it take to be in that role? What yeah. is required? And one of the, one of the, the newer policy that, that, we, that I've seen in the last couple of weeks through a company that we work with is three days a week in the office, but everybody's working the same three days a week in the office. And so let's just say that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so what they're asking managers to do is saying, Thursday, Friday, you can have all be at home. But make your team meetings on that Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday when the people are in the office. Now, that's assuming everybody can actually do that, right? Yeah. But really thinking through what the impact is, again, end to end, right? It doesn't just impact the manager or the leader, but everyone else on that team. Yeah. Having also manager discretion and flexibility to look at those roles and make some changes. And Microsoft is a great example of doing that. They're saying... 50% work from home. However, it's a manager discretion. If Kate needs, wants, her role requires her to be in the office or at home. Yeah. But I we think that's actually really smart. I think that's really smart. Yeah. Now, the thing is, um, it's really smart 
if you have leaders who get it, right? Yeah. But one thing that we all know, because you, you've been a leader of many people, I've been a leader of many people, um, everybody's not cut out for um, leading people. Right. And, um, <laughs> right, whatever the biases are and the craziness that they had at home, they're going to bring it into the office. And oftentimes I've seen leaders um, really, like, really think about what's best for them as a leader. Yeah. And not what's best for their team. And I think what they're going to find is there's going to be some level of sacrifice that leaders are going to have to make. And there are some leaders who aren't going to be unwilling to do that. And the companies are going to have to figure out how they're going to hold those people accountable and to monitor and manage that, which means the robustness of the communications, not one way, but two way or three way, right? Circling is so important. That's why I said this is really a big change management exercise for many companies. And if you've done, taken big organizations through change, like we both have, and um, then you know the number one thing after you get the plan together and after you've laid it out and you've given everybody their roles and responsibilities is how you listen and how do you make the adjustment when something's not working. And that is the thing that I think is gonna be really challenging for companies where their culture has typically not been one where people feel like they're willing to express themselves right. and to share the issues and the challenges that they are facing. And that's why when I hear comments like, you know, you're not a hustler if you don't come to the office. I mean, you know, you, you're, not you're not really part of the team if you don't come to the office. It really makes me uncomfortable because there's a whole group of people who are like not positioned because of whatever's happening with their life um, that they can't come in. I saw an article yesterday um, by this woman who basically declared that she did not sign up for um, the things that the pandemic brought on in terms of her motherhood. It's actually a really, um, you know, I first looked at the article, I was like, mm, but I started reading it and I was like, oh my God, like she is on to so many things. <laughs> And so how many women um, in particular, especially managers and others who found themselves in this position where they used to be able to send their kids to others to help right. manage their childcare, but are still now taking on roles in addition to everything else that they do that are making their lives like really miserable. Well, now if you work at a company that um, has basically said, yeah, well, you know, you got to come back to the office and there's some level of flexibility, but the culture says that you can't really talk about that. That's going to be problematic, right? Yeah. Because those are the people who are going to opt out. They're the ones who are going to say, you know what? It's just too hard. I can't do it. And I got to go. And those are the people most of the time that you do not want to lose. Well, this is the challenge we have. I mean, we saw 4 million people quit their jobs in April in yes. the United States. Which is crazy. <laughs> million. And on top of the five and a half million of women that have left the workforce. Yes. Voluntarily and involuntarily. Yes. yes. And and now we're saying, you know, this kind of lead by fear, right? Which used to work. I mean, we've both been there, right? Susan working in big well, companies. It, it never worked. It, it never worked. It never, it never was effective. It just worked for some people. Right. right. And I think there's a there's a, a light, you know, there's only a span for that. Right. And it may like we are we are we have woken up. And I think employees realize, at least for the foreseeable future, 
the power is in their hands. And by the way, if, if I was in New York City and I decided I wanted to move to Boulder, Colorado for, for life change and, and my company's willing to let me move there and work there and I, I you know, maybe there's a pay cut. You're seeing yeah. in these surveys that people, if they've made that life choice for flexibility, for their families, for themselves, they may be willing to have that pay cut or you know, a little bit of a change in, in compensation. But all of this goes back to having conversations and listening to yeah. employees. I feel like that's like should be our tagline, right? Navigating like, the work compass, listen. Listening. Listen, pay attention. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and there is no one. I mean, this is that's a great point earlier you made. There is no one size fits all approach. Right. And by the way, companies that are coming out with these policies, just like we did last March, no, we're going to all work from home. We didn't know how long this was going to last. These right. policies and practices, we can try them. And if they don't work for the people, for the management, for the organization, for the bottom line, we can change those, but there has to be transparency to both the leadership as well as the employee group. Otherwise it just doesn't work. That's right. And the thing is, is you have to really be thoughtful about how you're going to have those listening channels in place. So um, we're always one of those, um, we're one of those shows where we believe in giving really tactical advice yes. for managers and leaders and for companies. And so I think there's, there, there's a few things that you ought to do. If you are a leader of people, the first is um, absolutely use the channels that the company has to get feedback in terms of what's happening. So usually every company does some kind of annual survey. If they're not doing an annual survey, they should be. And I would suggest before this um, going back to work that you do a survey companies and then three months after people have been coming back to the office, you do another survey. It could be a truncated one, it could be a shorter one, but do another one because I guarantee you there are gonna be things that you learn about you know, the process and the things that you've put in place, the program that is not working for other, other some people. And there are gonna be things you're gonna learn that are really great for everybody oh. that you probably need to do more um, often and to engage in. So that's the first thing, which is, Definitely take advantage of the company survey. The second thing I would tell you is leaders, you're gonna have to do more one-on-ones with your people than you ever did before. And not just with your direct reports, but skip levels in your organization. So that means if you're the CEO, I'm sorry, you got a lot of work to do because you're gonna be doing a lot of skip levels across your organization. And I, I would suggest you figure out how you create it so it's not in the boardroom of your um, of your office, that it's not in a place where things are so formal. Take people out of the office or meet them in a place where they feel more comfortable and you can be more relaxed in the engage, the way you engage with them as you ask questions. Work the room, right? Um, figure out who are the people who you trust who can tell you the straight shot. You know, my mother always have the saying that like people who want something from you, tell you what you want to hear. People who really care about you tell you the truth. So that means you have to come with like your listening ear in and realize that being defensive is the worst thing that you can do. Yeah. And so being open, and so that means if you have to practice, 
before you go to the meeting and have somebody who you love, ask your wife, your husband, whoever, give you some tough feedback so that you can be battle ready. Take an inhale and exhale and go and listen to people. So when they tell you things that aren't working, you can um, you know, be aware of those things. The next thing I would tell you is write it down. Yep. Right? So write it down and then come back to people very quickly and say, this is what I heard from you. And then you say, okay, these are the things that we can do something about right now. And these are the things that, you know what? We hear you, we know they're really terrible or they're really hard for you, but we're just not in a position where we can do something about that. People, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was just gonna add one thing to that around these one-on-ones, right? Most bigger companies that have performance reviews in place would have just gone through this for mid-year feedback, right? Yeah. Write it down, be transparent, give real feedback, not BS, right? On both sides, listen. So if you've already gone through that, this is just another example of gathering feedback in those one-on-ones, but take away the performance component of this. Yes. Let's look at what is a win-win situation for you as the employee, you as the manager, and overall, of course, for the team and the company. But it's gotta be a transparent conversation. The other just two kind of those tactical things that I would say, in addition to what you've said is, Number one, do a review of every practice, policy, whatever you put in place during the pandemic. That's great. What worked, what hasn't? Why, if it's working, why change it? Number two, performance management evaluation. Okay, what worked in the past may not be how you look at that role and performance today. We talked about this with Kim Seymour. Measurement by outcome, not by activity. That's right. In the old days, it was Susan's in the office, Kate's in the office, they're working 15 hours a day, they're at their desk, they're doing meetings. Great. Some of that was actual production and performance. A lot of that was they're in the office. That's right. So as we look at measurement, let's think about outcome. What are you actually asking these employees? What does their role require? take away that activity component. Because like many people, we used to go to meetings and set up meetings just to set up meetings. That's right, that's right. And if you have a meeting culture, that's probably what you're gonna do. Exactly. The other thing that I would add to this is do a review of all of your systems and your infrastructure to see what are the tools that people need to be able to navigate the environment when they come back to the office. So. Let me give you a great example. Um, the first thing is, is like conference rooms. For whatever reason, every person I've ever talked to at every and every company I've ever worked at, getting a conference room has always been a problem. Always <laughs> a problem, right? Well, guess what? Now that you're going to be programming and spending more time understanding how people work and being more intentional about it, now you can make sure that there are more opportunities for people to get a conference room when they need it and also encouraging them not to use a conference room when they don't need it. And this requires a combination of the tools and technology and the change management and the behavior. So as a leader, you can absolutely model that behavior. There's countless examples of it. But the thing that people complain about the most after they think about the, the physical space, if the physical space sucks, is the tech. 
So if the tech doesn't work or the tech is not enabling or the tech doesn't help, you know, then it's not going to be great. And the, the other thing is, is a lot of companies are like very concerned about spending capital dollars on things like tools for employee engagement. But I would tell you, you need to be looking at your capital spend and asking yourself, what amount of dollars do you need to allocate to the infrastructure of how your employees sit, work, do whatever, that will enable them to be as productive as possible to deliver that great product for your customers and to deliver that other thing? Because all too often, the things that we're talking about are viewed as an expense and right. not viewed as an opportunity to help grow revenue of the company. Your greatest asset are your people. Like, I don't know how many times I have to tell this, some leaders still think that people are just interchangeable. But for every time you have a person who knows the systems, the people, the infrastructure, et cetera, every time they leave, you lose productivity. And every time you have to train somebody new, it costs you more money. I mean, Susan, we're both examples of that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, right there are like two huge companies lost two, made two great women that had huge people management responsibilities, systems, P&L, et cetera. And they, we walk out the door. It, we know it costs over 100% more to hire someone than retain them. That's right. So... This is this great resignation that we keep hearing about. It is not just a word. That's it's right. 50 million people left in April. That's and right. We're not even in September when things are going back to whatever normal looks like. How do you navigate that? How you work with your employees, how you look at roles, how you have real conversations. But the last thing that I would say is how do Let's not force everything where this is the rest of our lives. Right. We can, like you said earlier, do a survey. Where are people feeling today? In three months, where are people feeling? What needs to change? What's working? What's not working? Um, you know, the what I saw with the letter last week, I think it was last week or two weeks ago with Apple, more than 2,800 employees got together and 80 of them wrote it and said, Here's what we want you to consider. Not, we're not demanding this. That's right. We're asking you as your employees, we want you to consider this as you're looking at your new policies and what you put in place. Giving the employees a voice is all they're asking for. Yes. And that's so important. That's important in any situation, never mind coming out of a pandemic. And there's, so there's a couple of other things that I would add on for leadership of the companies that are out there. And so the first is figure out who is responsible for making the decision about these things. Because all too often um, there's like a finger pointing exercise. It's like, well, we, we hear you, but like we, you know, I'm not empowered to make that decision or I have to run that up the chain and so-and-so. So be very clear about who is empowered to make the decision and how will you hold that person accountable for taking in the feedback and creating an action plan for the organization. So that's the first thing that I would say. And the second thing I'm gonna say is something that I think um, really comes back to a word that we've been using oftentimes on this show and that is empathy. Yes. And I'm just gonna use this as an opportunity to challenge every leader out there 
to first of all, go and look up in the dictionary what empathy actually means. Cause I think a lot of people think they know what empathy is, um, but they really don't. So just at the end of the day, you, you cannot read empathy in a book. That's not how it works. Empathy can certainly, you know, the book can give you some information, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing that counts better than building relationships with people. Yes, agree. And um, and I mean like real relationships with them, understanding what are the things that drive them, why do they come to work every day, what are the challenges that they're facing, and you take it upon yourself as a leader to try to do everything in your power to create opportunities to make it easier for the people who work for you. Again, this hierarchy in corporate to me drives me crazy because um, all of the new stuff, all the cool stuff, all the tools, all the ease, it's like a rite of passage for executive leadership. And right. that was the model that worked in the past. But I'm telling you, with the next generation of young people who are coming up, that model will not work anymore. They are going to be unwilling to work for you if they feel like you are trying to just use what they do as an unfair advantage that puts them at a disadvantage. And so use this as an opportunity to pivot, to learn more about your people, to get to know them and to understand. It doesn't mean you're gonna do everything that you know, they're asking for. Cause you know, look, I've been in that position before. There are just some things that are completely unreasonable and don't make sense. But it does mean that you are aware and that you are in a position to have a real conversation with people about the things that matter the most to them. Because I can tell you right now, the constituents in your group, the moms on your team, or the people who are responsible for elder care in their family, they're gonna have something to say and the way you treat them around these issues is going to make them determine whether or not they want to stick with you or whether or not they're willing to go somewhere else. So I think we're almost out of time. There's been another great um, opportunity for us to have a conversation about this. Next week, we're going to have another special guest. And so we're going to have someone who's going to be joining us from the architectural industry who actually works with companies so we can hear directly from them about all the things that are happening um, with the changes their clients are asking for, what are the trends that they're seeing so that you can begin to see more broadly uh, about how your own personal situation is relative to, fits relative to everything else. So yeah. stay tuned for next week, navigating the work office here on LinkedIn Live with me, Kate Luzio and my co-host, Susan Chapman Hughes. We'll get the tech better next week, I promise. Absolutely, hey, we all, we all know this is a window into our lives. You and I, we're just not as technologically advanced. Have the um, art from Parker's <laughs> two-year-old um, thing, like she's come a long way, but there you go. There you go. So everyone, please continue to stay safe, healthy, conscientious of others. Yes. We'll see we'll you next week. next week at 12 noon Eastern for Navigating the Work Compass. Bye, everyone.